Merry Christmas, everyone. Really a blessed Merry Christmas to one and all, both for those of us here physically and those worshipping online as well. I don't know about you, but I haven't felt so happy about Christmas for quite some time. So it's a really a joyful season for us. I think we all have experienced uh, this pandemic very long drawn and at various times we felt like there was really no light at the end of the tunnel. But we thank God, truly thank God that the COVID situation here in Singapore has been more stable in the past month or so. And so uh, we are able to gather really so many of us, you know, up to 100 packs per zone. But regardless of whether we can see the light at the end of the tunnel or not, I think we can always rejoice because the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, has come. Right? Amen? Amen. That's the reason we gather for worship. I also feel very happy to see some faces. I haven't seen some faces for two years. <laughs> some of you, so welcome back home. And also, uh, good glad to see, uh, happy to see new faces in our midst. And those of you who are here for the first time because a family member or friend invited you, we want to warmly welcome you to the AMKMC, Amokyo Methodist Church family here that we call our spiritual home. And for those of you who are joining us online as well, if a family member or friend shared with you the link, please know that you are also loved because someone bothered to care enough to share this link with you, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christmas with you as well. And so, regardless of wherever we are, either here or elsewhere, remember, you are already blessed because you are loved. You are blessed because you are loved. I don't know how many of you are Marvel movie fans, in particular, Spider-Man movie fans. Right? No, let me say, I haven't watched the last installment, so I won't be spoiling the movie for you. There's no way I can do that. But don't spoil the movie for me, alright? If you have already watched it. But back in this series, in 2017, they released the first Spider-Man Homecoming. And in that episode, in that movie, it showed how Spider-Man came to realize his identity and then to realize his full potential. And so that's a theme that I'll pick up later on in this sermon as well. And then there were next the other two movies. In 2019, they released Spider-Man Far From Home. And now recently, this year, they released Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> now who knew that between these second and third movies, right, COVID would hit and the air travel that we have all taken for granted, you know, suddenly would grind to a complete halt, that Far From Home and No Way Home will really become the reality, the sad reality for many people. For those separated and stranded from their families overseas, even just a short causeway distance away from between us and Malaysia, we know it's just a short causeway distance, yet two years of separation. Or maybe you can take a short ferry ride from Singapore to Batam, one hour, and yet so near, yet so far, right? Truly far from home, and certainly at certain points in time, we felt like there was no way home. My own elder brother and his family, they reside in Perth, Australia. Uh, my grandma, my parents and I, we haven't seen him since January 2020. So far from home, no way home. In our unconventional scriptures, Christmas scripture text for today, we also see a similar situation of someone who is far from home and at times felt like he was, there was no way home. Luke chapter 15, I jump in at verse 11. Jesus tells this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with, what the pots, with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now before we look at this text in depth, let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Come, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you once again. We give you all the glory, glory in the highest heavens as we have just sung together the host of angels. We praise your name. For today we rejoice and celebrate you came among us. And Lord, as you have told this story, the parable of the lost son, we pray, Holy Spirit, reveal your truth and speak the message of the Father into all our spirits today. So commit this time into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in this story, to put it very mildly, the younger son didn't like his father very much at all. Now, when does one usually get their share of the inheritance? You don't need to be a lawyer to know this. It's when the person who owns the property passes on, right? That's when you receive the share of the inheritance. And so for the younger son to go to his father, and mind you, this was uh, supposed to be an era of traditional cultural values where you're supposed to honour your parents. And so for this younger son to go to his father and to say, give me my share of the inheritance, give me my share of the estate, what was he really saying to his dad? Hey dad, I wish you were dead. That was what he was saying and implying. Now even if that were not the case, to say, you know, give me my share of the estate, at the very basic level, the younger son was implying that he didn't want to be at home anymore to stay with the father any longer. He can't stand to be at home. He would rather be at any other place, far from home even, rather than be at home. And that's exactly what he did. He took his share of inheritance. He went off to a distant country. Now notice it's a distant country. It's not just across the street, moving next block, or somewhere further in the same country. It's a distant country. It's far off. And so the younger son really wanted to get as far away as from the father, from the family as possible. Unfortunately, instead of using that inheritance well, he squandered away everything in wild living. I imagine if he was living in our era, he might be smoking, drinking, clubbing, feasting on abalone, lobsters every day, splurging on luxury goods, just wasting the money away. Now perhaps some of you might know of someone like that in your own families, someone who didn't appreciate the value of hard work, of money, someone who squandered away the family inheritance. Maybe that person could be you. You were the one who wasted your family inheritance. And just as sudden as COVID struck, a famine strikes the land, and this young man was left completely poor and stranded. As a result, he has to work as a helper in a foreign land. And that he worked among pigs really showed he wasn't in any Jewish territory. So for the Jews, they don't have anything to do with pigs because they are considered unclean animals. Now for him to desire to eat the food given to pigs, Imagine your leftovers after Christmas dinner tonight in the waste bin. <laughs> For him to eat something like that, to want to even eat something like that, shows you how down and out this young man truly was. Poor, poor chap, really very hungry. Now let's recap and try to see ourselves in this story. Have you ever been in seasons where you just felt like you didn't want to be at home? Maybe this whole COVID pandemic exacerbated that, intensified that feeling because we're all working from home. There's just so much conflict at home. Home just doesn't feel like home. And we just feel like we don't want to be at home anymore. Maybe we felt that home wasn't a haven of peace, but really a pit of anger, conflict, darkness. And as a result, maybe you or your children, they moved out. Conflict at home. Maybe that's the season you're in right now. Or have you ever been in seasons where you wasted your life away? Well, I know I certainly had when I was much younger. And if I'm right, most of us, if not all of us, we have done things that we are ashamed of. Things 
in the past, or maybe in the, even in the present, maybe we were in the past active contributors <clears throat> to relational conflicts at home. We were the ones raising our voices, shouting at someone else. Maybe we also squandered away our parents' money, you know, we, even our own hard-earned money in wild living. Maybe some of us, we tried to live a good life, but somehow we were just poor at handling money. <clears throat> we lost money through business and investments. Or maybe you did even worse things than what I just listed above. And you are so ashamed that up to today, no one knows about it. Not even your closest family members and friends. Maybe you are in such a season now where you feel that you have just wasted your life. Or have you ever been in seasons when you were so down and out? Perhaps you were stuck in a job. You know, you were stuck in a foreign place or you were stuck in the course of studies. You wanted to change course but you weren't allowed to do so or weren't able to do so. Or you were stuck in debt. You were lonely, you were hungry. No one reached out to you. You cried yourself to sleep every night. And maybe you are in such a season now. Now, for proper context, Jesus told this story really to illustrate our relationship between us and God. That's the proper context. Whether you come from a Christian home or not, that really you know, it doesn't matter because there will definitely be times when the younger son's relationship with the father reflects our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Because if you're honest enough, there will be times that we will confess that we didn't know God, didn't like God, or just don't have to have anything to do with God. If you're honest, surely there were seasons like that. We just wanted to live our own lives. We wanted to go our own ways. We refused to submit to God's house rules of obedience, of faithfulness, of sacrificial love. We just wanted to do things on our own. There were times we knew we did things that displeased God. And even if we were non-Christians, we have no prior belief in God. We knew that we did shameful things because our own consciences, it condemned us. For some of us, maybe there have been times where our own consciences have been so seared, our minds so darkened, that we didn't even know that we were trapped in wild living and sinful ways. I can imagine when the younger son was squandering his life away in wild living, I'm pretty sure he never saw anything wrong at the time. He was just enjoying himself. And my friends, that's the true depth and deception of sin. We never know how bad we, are, we are truly are when we are trapped in it. We never know how bad we are, how bad we have become when we are trapped in it. Maybe some of you sitting here or watching online, you think to yourselves, hey, pastor, I didn't really do anything very bad. I didn't steal, I didn't kill, I didn't destroy, I didn't join bad company. An Indian Christian missionary, Sadhu Sundar Singh, gave, I think, the best analogy to describe our awareness of sin or our lack of awareness of sin. You see, when a person is swimming in the ocean, this person does not feel the weight of the water in and around him or her, right? Because you're swimming, you just don't feel the weight. But once you emerge from the waters, and you carry a small little bucket of the seawater, you will immediately feel the weight. And that's, how, that's, that's the analogy that describes our relationship with sin. When we are in sin, we don't feel it. Nothing wrong, what? But the moment the Holy Spirit reveals to us, hey, we are in sin, suddenly we feel the weight and the guilt of that sin. Even just a tiny tinge of sin is enough to contaminate the whole of us. And according to the Bible, sin is not just wrongdoing as we typically you know, understand it to be. You have done something wrong. No. From God's standard, from the Bible, sin is basically missing the mark. Think of the archers trying to shoot the bullseye. It must be 100% at the bullseye. 9.10 also not good enough. right? And so, 
what's this standard? What's the 100% bullseye? The standard that God sets and demands of us is perfect love. Loving unconditionally, sacrificially all the time. Not just towards Him, but towards one another. And how many of us dare to say we have never been selfish? Surely, we have all been selfish, thinking only about ourselves at one point or another. And so, like the younger son, if we are honest, there are many times that we have walked away from God, and after we have walked away, many times that we feel far away from God, and we felt maybe even there was no way home. Deep down inside, we may long to return to God, but we feel the weight of our shame. Will God really accept me for all that I've done? I have walked away from God. No, I have even ran away from God. I have squandered away all the blessings He has given me. I have done very sinful, shameful things. I have not lived as a Christian should. Will God still love me after all these things? I have messed up. Can God help me? Will God help me? Now, even for those of us who already profess to be Christians, we find ourselves very often burdened by guilt, sin and shame. We don't even dare to imagine an intimate walk with God. Listen to what the younger son in this story says, and really he reflects us. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called. Your son, make me like one of your hired servants. Notice here, the younger son only went home because he was hungry. It's not because he suddenly realized, oh, I love my father so much. No, that's not the case. He went home simply because he was famished. He saw that his father's servants, or rather he recalled that his father's servants had better food than him. And so he thought, hey, come on, I should at least go home. At least at home, I got food. But I cannot go home as his son. I should go back as his servant. And so that may reflect some of us how we feel as believers quite often. We may come to church, not necessarily because we genuinely love God, our father, but because there is spiritual food. Somehow, there is spiritual food offered here. There seems to be no better alternative than the house of God and in church. And so we come. Not because we truly love God, but because we just want that spiritual food. And sometimes we feel bad, but in order not to feel like complete hypocrites, we join to serve. We serve to make ourselves feel better rather than serve because love overflows from us. We may even make our confessions whenever we come to the Holy Communion table. But we make these confessions only so that we can earn our spiritual food. We may make countless similar prayers like this younger son, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Do we find ourselves in similar situations? In the first Spider-Man movie, Tony Stark gives Peter Parker, Tony Stark is Iron Man, right? He gives Peter Parker a wonderful gift, a high-tech Spider-Man suit manufactured by Stark in, uh, Technologies, Industries. But Peter Parker, being a young man, you know, teenager at the time, learning who he was as Spider-Man, learning his skills and so, he made some horrible blunders. I just watched this recap on Netflix, so I know the storyline here. And so, when confronted by Tony Stark, who took this gift away, that Spider-Man suit, the high-tech suit, Peter Parker pleaded, If you take away this suit, I am nothing. To which Tony Stark brilliantly replied, If you are nothing without this suit, you are nothing. Wow. <laughs> now I must really watch number three. Okay, but don't spoil the plot for me. <laughs> what about us? Do we feel like we are accepted by God only because we have put on a religious suit? 
or worse, we acknowledge, we act or act, you know, you know, behave like Christians only in church whenever we put on a religious suit. Sundays, wow, religious suit. Mondays to Saturday, nothing. <laughs> Does that describe us, sadly? Well, believe it or not, God's Word declares to us the truth and the good news of Christmas is that we all can come home. All of us, we can come home because God has made a way home. That's the good news of Christmas. We no longer have to feel far from home or feel like there is no way home because of our sin. Every Christmas, we declare the good news that Jesus has come to bring us home. That's the good news. And none of us really need to put up a, a front, a religious suit, to pretend to be someone we are not. And we shouldn't do that. Because God, in the first place, He knows that we cannot save ourselves from the web of sin. That's why He came. He knows we can never save ourselves. He knows we may feel far from home and no way home, and that's why He came. And so Jesus came to become one of us, to identify with us with exactly how we feel, but importantly, to make a way home to God through Him. But God's desire is not just for us to return home to Him, but really to be fully reinstated in our identity as sons and daughters of God. That is God's ultimate desire. Not just for you to be back in a relationship with Him, but an intimate relationship with Him. That you may fully realize your identities as sons and daughters of God. Let's join now to the second part of the story. We join back at verse 20. The son got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The important detail in this story is how the father didn't indulge in his son's apologies at all. Look at what the father did. While his son was still a long way off, his father saw him, ran towards him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, right? And then gave instructions to his servants while the son was still going through this well with her speech, Father, I've seen against... No, he wasn't even listening. The father wasn't even listening. He just loved and lavished his love on him. He commanded his servants to bring the best robe and the ring. These are symbols of sonship. And he's been fully reinstated. The father didn't say, you go and do your pay your penance first, then I'll put the rope back on you. No. Immediately, he restored him as a son. The sandals indicate the period of suffering is over. Come, enjoy the fullness, the celebration, the party. As I hear this story, I put on my head of imagination, you know, movie-making mode. I imagine also how the servants must have raced alongside the father. It's not something that we typically imagine. But if the father was able to give instructions to his servants immediately, right? Surely the servants must have been running alongside as well, a long way off. Wow, they see this old man started running, then they also started running. Wow, what is he doing? Maybe they were thinking to themselves, you know, as they were running, I hope this old man doesn't get a heart attack, man. Why is he running so fast? And when, when they saw the, lav- the father lavish his love on his son, perhaps they wondered to themselves, how can... This father reinstate his son so easily after all the damage he has done. How can it be? How can the father love so lavishly after all these? Is it possible that a father's love can be so great? Is it possible that a father's love can be so great? 
Well, here's a real-life story of a father's great love. Track President Reverend Stanley first highlighted this story during the track ordination service, and Straits Times carried this report. It tells a story, real-life story of Mr. Kuo Kang Tang. The son was just two, and a, two years and five months old when the son was abducted from their home, where he was just playing unattended. And after his son was abducted in 1997, the 27-year-old Kuo quit his job, crisscrossed the whole country on a motorbike with large flags, uh, bearing his son's photo tied to his back. To cut the long story short, he travelled 500,000 kilometres. A 500,000 uh, kilometre crusade included battling highway robbers, sleeping under bridges and even begging when his money ran out. After 24 long years, he was finally reunited with his long-lost son and DNA tests confirmed this. What an incredible story of a father's perseverance. At the same time, we stand in amazement. Yet, we also can totally understand what drove Mr. Kuo to such depths and lengths. It was his deep love for his son, isn't it? In an interview, he once told Chinese media, he said, Only by hitting the road looking for my son do I feel I am a father. Only when I take action, that's when I felt I am a father. And that's precisely the point Jesus was trying to teach us about God, our Heavenly Father's love for us. If an earthly father like Mr. Kuo here can love like that, how much more is God, our Heavenly Father's love for us? God will go to any length in order to find us and bring us home. We know this familiar verse, John 3.16 declares, For God so loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave who? His only Son. Let me ask the parents here, those of us with more than two, or at least more than one child, two or more, would you sacrifice one precious child to save another? And mind you, these are all your biological children. We already find it so hard to make a decision like that, right? Children whom you love, would you sacrifice one to save another? Probably most of us, we wouldn't know what to do. But what did God do? He sacrificed His only Son, whom He loved, who was there from eternity to save you and to save me. What tremendous love. And so every Christmas we remember God sent His Son not only just to live among us, but really to ultimately later on pay the price and redemption by dying on the cross for our sins. And so if you can hear, do you hear our Heavenly Father whispering, only by hitting the road, looking for my Son, do I feel I am a Father. And that's God's word to us as well. I, I am here to demonstrate to you I've always been your father. I sent my son. I sent my son, therefore I am your father. But more than just bringing us home, Jesus' birth, death and resurrection accomplishes for us really an incredible new reality. Like the prodigal son in this story, we can be fully restored as sons and daughters of the God Most High. Only when Peter Parker lost his high-tech Spider-Man suit did he realize who he truly was, that he really didn't need the suit. All the powers of Spider-Man were already latent in him. And sometimes, whether we like it or not, only when we are lost, that's when we truly realize the extent of what God has done and who we are in Christ Jesus. Only when we are lost, then we discover who we are in Christ Jesus. We all love a rags-to-riches story, right? But maybe because that's the story we were all born for. That's the story we were all wired for. It's so easy to feel far from home, no way home to God, you know. 
that our filthy rags are not worthy of a glorious God. We feel like that many times. But Jesus tells this story to teach us that the story is not primarily about us, but about God, a Father who doesn't care about our rags, our filth, our smell, our dirt. No, there is a Father who richly restores even though we don't deserve it. And that's why we Christians believe in grace and mercy. We don't deserve it. But God in His great love still loves us anyway. Again, I want to say there is no two-step process when God restores us. He doesn't first of all make us servants. Hey, you better prove yourself before I accept you. That's how we typically behave as human beings, but that's not how God does it. In God's economy, no, we don't have to prove ourselves. In fact, we can never prove ourselves. And so there is no two-step process. He simply, completely, immediately restored the Son in this parable, right? And that's how God treats us too. Whenever we come to Him, we are fully restored as sons and daughters of God. The price Jesus paid determines the worth and value of those He died for. The price Jesus paid, listen here, determines the worth and value of those He died for. It's not about us. It's the price He paid. And that tells us that we are so, so, so valuable because of what He has done. So don't let anyone rob you of this truth that tells you that you're unworthy, you're not valuable. Don't let any of these voices deceive you because God's Word tells us the truth and because we know that truth, it sets us free. And one of the greatest implications of this truth is that we can freely, boldly, confidently come before God, our Heavenly Father, in prayer all the time, anytime, any place, because of what Jesus has done for us. In Christ Jesus, we have full access to our Heavenly Father. That's the good news. It's the second good news of Christmas. And that really is the greatest homecoming of all. And that should be the reason why we gather for worship. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation, you know, or trying to please God with our own effort but simply because we realize how much God has loved us and worship becomes an overflow of the joy, of the peace, all that we have experienced from God. We worship not out of dry duty and obligation, but because of joy, love and gratitude. Before we close, it's important you see that the story that Jesus told is situated in a large context, a larger context. In the opening verses of Luke chapter 15, Jesus was confronted by religious leaders as to why he was eating with sinners. In their mind, how can a holy man eat with sinners? It doesn't make sense. And so in response, Jesus tells three stories. The first two stories are the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Basically, they depict how owners, uh, the shepherd and the woman respectively, they did all they could to find the lost object. The shepherd left the 99 sheep behind even just to find one. The women searched the whole house, switched on all the lights, or rather burn all the candles, whatever, to like for, look for the lost coin. And so in this third story of the lost son, there is a question. Who should have gone out to look for the lost son? In the first two stories, there was the shepherd and the woman who did everything they could. And who should have gone out to do everything they could to look for the lost son? It should have been the elder brother's duty. But he didn't do that. Remember, there were two sons in this story. Indirectly then, Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders. If you truly knew the Father heart of God, if you really knew who God was, you would have eaten with sinners as I did. You wouldn't have judged me. In fact, you would have joined me. If you knew God's great love for His long-lost child, you would have been the one to travel to a distant land, even searching among pig farms, so-called unclean places, unclean things, just to find your long-lost sibling, as I did. If you truly knew God was love. 
And to drive home this point, Jesus continues telling the story when the elder son found out about the party his father threw, when he discovered his younger brother came home, was fully restored and reinstated. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And so here we discover that the elder brother, he might have physically stayed home, but his heart was never at home. The younger brother's heart was never at home, that's why he left home. The elder brother... He was at home physically, but his heart was not there. All these years, he only saw himself as a slave, but never as a son. Does that describe some of our relationship with God? We still see God as a master only, and we are his slaves. We never dare to enter into intimacy as his beloved children of God. If that's you, listen to what the Father says. He says, my son, verse 31, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice what the father calls his son, the elder son. My son. Is there any distinction? No. It is still his precious son. Both sons are deeply loved. And then the father adds, and I probably read this into the text, you are always with me. That's why I don't need to always celebrate because you are all the joy that I have. Every day is a celebration. In fact, if you ask me for a fattened calf every day, I would have done it for you because you are my son. Why didn't you ask? Spider-Man only discovered who he truly was after everything was stripped away from him. In the same way, I think COVID has stripped away a number of things from church, from our lives. And yes, initially, we feel very confused, right? Just as Peter Parker felt when he was, you know, lost his suit, he was confused. But I pray that in this period of confusion and searching, eventually, we will discover the truth, discover our true identities in Christ Jesus. And if you need a hand to guide you in your reflections, I shared with our leaders a couple of months ago on lessons from COVID for the church. So I've just re-recorded the sermons uh, by breaking them down into four smaller bite-sized sermonettes. I will inform us via WhatsApp broadcast when it's out on our YouTube channel to help us guide us through our reflection. What are the lessons we can learn from COVID so that we can emerge stronger? Not to let COVID enemy defeat us, but to get back on our feet as a church to emerge stronger, better than ever before. Our church theme for 2022 is God Calls. But before we get to 2022... Let's hear God's call for all of us today to return as His beloved children. If you feel far from home, no way home, remember, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story at all. Christmas is God's decisive first step to bring us home. Every Christmas, we remember how Jesus left His glorious heavenly home. He came to a distant country, very distant, eh? heaven and earth cannot be further a country filled with wild living, filth, shame. He came to bring us home. In fact, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way home. He is our way home. And when I say home, I don't just mean, you know, the physical gathering as we are experiencing here or even the online service. Even though these are important spiritual disciplines, especially physical gathering for corporate worship. When I say home, I really mean an ongoing relationship with God. Daily, 
on a daily basis. That's when we are truly home with God. We have an ongoing relationship with God daily. A daily relationship, love relationship that spills over into Sunday worship. That's when we are truly home with the Lord. And when we come home with the Lord, that's not a thing that we still have to prove ourselves, that we need to earn our place as servants first. No, God has already given us a rope, a ring, sandals. We all can feast. Remember Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. This day is holy to the Lord. Let's celebrate then with fatness and sweet drinks. We sing in the songs earlier, Holy Night. It should be done with joy and celebration because we are all home. We have an equal place at God's feasting table. Overflowing, unspeakable joy should characterize all of us as beloved children of God. At the same time, importantly, as Jesus has demonstrated, if you are truly home with God, truly have experienced God's love, we must go out there to distant countries and bring others home. That's another sign that we are truly home with God. So my friends, the MKMC family, what are you hearing this Christmas? Do you still hear the voices of condemnation? That you are far from home, there's no way home, there's no way God will accept you? Or do you hear God's voice, the truth, and He's calling all of us to return because Jesus has made a way home. Jesus is our way home. And when we come home, He calls us to bring others home as well. Come, let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much, far beyond our wildest imagination. But we thank you for this story whom your son Jesus, who knows you so well, has told to reveal who you are, the Father, heart of God. We thank you and praise you that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, we praise and we adore you that you came to show us the way home, to be the way home, to bring us home. And so, Lord, help us to treasure this privilege we have to walk with you closely. Empower us by your Holy Spirit that truly we may live as your sons and daughters every single day in holiness and also in happiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.